0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Liveline. Five one double five one is our text number, and Joe with RTE uh, from anywhere in the world. We mentioned earlier that this year is the uh, 170th anniversary of the foundation of Cleary's, uh, which was uh, the building is still there in O'Connell Street in Dublin. That's where it started, um, and a number of people were asking what's happening with Cleary's. There's been building work going on for five years. People will remember, at least five years, people will remember that the company was taken over very quickly by um, another entity who basically shut it down within a few weeks and that was the end of it. Um, And the reason the listeners contact us is there's, there's an ad going around at the moment saying there's going to be a Cleary's archive open in January, this being nearly the middle of January at this stage. We're wondering where it is. There's no more information. And uh, when we mentioned that, we were contacted by a number of people who hope uh, a number of chapters are included in the archive. And Jerry, Jerry Guyhan, Jerry, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Um, for a very, very, and I'd, for, I'd forgotten about this, and my apologies, it happened mm. in 1982, not too long ago, and it was uh, outside Cleary's, but it was two Cleary's employees, including your father. What happened, Jerry? Uh, my father and and uh, you know they were employed by Cleary's as uh, door staff or porter staff. But yeah. he he was retired from his job as a prison officer. Uh, he was in his sixties, and himself and uh, another gentleman um, by the name of Jared Crowley. Okay. Uh, we're on their way back from the bank after collecting wages to pay Cleary's staff. Right. And they were set upon in Sackville Place by uh, a gang of uh, criminals who subsequently uh, robbed them and uh, shot Mr. Crowley dead and injured my, my father in the uh, in the struggle. And uh, the two of them... Um, were badly injured, and this was wow. during the bad snow in 1982, mm-hmm. when the country was at a standstill, if you remember. So, um, and I, I, I would have, as I said, vaguely remembered the shooting. I, I did not remember, to my shame, that a man had been shot dead. That's right, Jared Crowley, who was a, a senior employee in in um, Clears at the time, and as I said, my father, who was. Uh, uh, on the security staff or porter staff at the, in Clears at the time. And what age were you, Jerry? Oh, I was, I think I was 20, um, 1982. I was in my late, no, I was born in 54. So I would have been 38. Was okay. that, that's about right, yeah. So, so, so tell us, what's your memory of it? When did you hear? Well, I was, I got a phone call. I was working, I was a civil servant in the Department of Transport at the time. I was got a phone call in the morning, late mm-hmm. one morning, um, to say that my mother had rang, uh, rang to sell, tell me that my father had been uh, shot and injured at Cleary's. So yeah. um, I made my way towards, and that he was in Jervis Street Hospital and um, undergoing uh, surgery. Okay. So I made my way towards Cleary's, and on the way, I remember seeing outside the uh, the pub called the Old Stand that there was a uh, fellow selling newspapers. On the newspaper headline was "Man Shot Dead in Cleary's," and so I was. Uh, that would uh, 
disturb you just a bit, but my way, my way towards. Uh, you, you thought Derby it was Street your hospital. I you thought, thought it was your father dad, shot dead. Yeah. So I uh, ended up then down at Jarrah Street Hospital, yeah. and I was told that my father was in surgery, and uh, um, we waited around for a while, but that he eventually came out of surgery. He'd been shot through, through, uh, through the leg, mm-hmm. and bullet came out through through one leg into the other leg and subsequently was taken out of his leg then ending up with four bullet holes in his legs so um he survived that and uh, but mr crowley unfortunately didn't he was he was uh, good God. and what do we know do, do i know it's a long time ago but what do we know about mr crowley what age was he and family and well, my own my own dad was sixty five, which was um, young. Uh, young. I don't. Young. Yeah, yeah, and Mr. Crowley, I wouldn't have known uh, too much about him. But I subsequently, just by way of of, uh, of coincidence, I was in Stillorgan only in the last couple of months, mm-hmm. and I I ended up um, talking to this lady, and she told me just after recognizing the name that. Uh, did I know a particular man, John Guy? And I said, yes, he's my father. And she said. Uh, well, my name is Crowley. I'm a daughter of the man who was who was uh, wow. shot dead at, at Sackville Place. Yeah, and it would have been again. It's 1982, but there wasn't there. There was a bank. Well, there's lots of banks close by, but there was a bank very close by, and I presume that was the bank that Cleary's deposited their cash every evening or whatever, and they went to collect the wages, and it would have been a very short walk. Uh, it, I, I think it was the bank, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Joe, I think it was the bank uh, AIB at Foster Place and oh, that okay. they were well, bringing the money from there yeah. to pay their wages every week. Uh, well, that's a long walk, week. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But they were set upon in, in Sackville Place at the back of and there, 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 Was anyone ever caught for it? There was, surely. Uh, there was, yeah. There was a... Uh, yeah, there was a few. There was a gang caught, all right, and uh, and where they sorry, where they convicted? More importantly, they were convicted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and they, what were they, you know, what they were charged with? The, that um, there was one man, I think, uh, from, um, and I, it was only I was trying to refresh my memory. He was from Moore Road. Yeah, um, and uh, was beside me uh, in Ballyfermot. Yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah. this uh, um, this man was subsequently jailed. Over that, yeah, yeah, and he was might have been released then after serving life. And how was your father afterwards? Um, my father um, wouldn't have been a hundred percent afterwards. He was obviously he was a tough man, um, having been a prison officer for thirty or forty mm. years. But he uh, he still it you know that that was. Uh, that was a tough ordeal for any man to go through, and particularly a man of sixty-five at the time. I think he was so, but uh, he survived it. And uh, now, whether he was, I, we were probably—I wasn't living at home. Mm. I was, but um, from what I can remember, he wasn't a hundred percent after it. But there again, physically, he was probably all right. But mentally, I'm not too sure. You but know, he didn't so. go back to work, did he, Jerry? Oh, he did. Yeah. Oh, did he? Oh, he did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, he something. Oh, he did go back. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He um, went back to work and Jared, worked until the. Yeah. Gerald Crowley was fifty-nine. Uh, the man who was convicted of his murder was a man called Michael Gibbons of Arnmore Road in Ballyfermot, and he was released in twenty twelve. And he was. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the yeah. only. That's the only bit of information. Um, 
there was a couple of other people involved yeah. in it, I remember. Um, but whether they were actually convicted of it, was, it was well known, I think, who was who had been involved. It was a particular gang, so... Actually, I think I think um, Michael Gibbons was the reason he he turned up in the papers in two thousand and twelve was because of another incident. Um, but um, he'd been released long before that. Um, mm-hmm. um, um, I I I think he's released about ten years, as yeah, far as I can yeah. remember. But uh, um, yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of um, information or controversy at the time. But it was that if you can remember, it was back at a time when there was. A lot going on. So mm-hmm. the early eighties. But what was more memorable about that was that the uh, that was the time of the very very bad snow yeah, yeah. Uh, here in Dublin, and that um, roads were closed and the city was closed down. If you remember, so yeah, it was January January eighty two. The... It was around this time, nineteen eighty two, in fact. And uh, I'm living in Ballantyre, and I was living in Ballantyre at the time. But trying to get home and even to get in and out of the uh, yeah. the hospital was. Uh, was tough enough. The whole country was shut down. That's right, yeah. I think Gareth Fitzgerald was T-shock. He was unfortunately on holidays at the time. He then tried to get back. Then I think it was Michael O'Leary who was the leader of the Labour Party and the Tarnish at the time. Uh, he was he was put in charge. He was in charge, obviously. And then Richie Ryan, who was the Minister for Finance, got himself into trouble when he said people should get out and shovel in front of their own, shovel the snow in front of them. Anyway, it was, the country came to a standstill. The country came to an absolute standstill in, yeah. Janu- in January 82. Is there, I wonder, is there, have you heard about this Cleary's archive? No. I, no, I haven't heard anything about it, Joe. This is, this is the first I've heard about it. And did you keep in touch with? Did you know any Cleary's employees up to no, the time no, it I shut down? I, and no, to, I to wouldn't 15. have known any of them. Did your, by the way, I did your, have known. did your father like working in Cleary's, Jerry? He did. Yeah, he 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 went there when he retired from um, prison service, and uh, him and a lot of other um, gentlemen who were probably retired out of there. They were. They were. They were of an older yeah. generation who were working there, and uh, um, some of them, and I do remember, some of them were retired guards, and uh, they went there um, after their, let's say, after their day job. But they uh, and they worked there, and they seemed to love it. You know, it was great. But they were there for a long time. And it's a very, it was a very, uh, it, you won't see the likes of it again. Um, no, it was a bit like, are you being served at BBC? Sitcom, very, very formal. All human life went into Cleary's from the whole country. Every, every part of the country knew Cleary's almost as if it was their local shop. Um, and then they had this unique system where you would, um, there weren't cash registers as such. You put your money into a little uh, container, you screwed it. Uh, the, the, the salesperson would screw it closed. And then there was this almost like a, an overhead railway system where they That's would right, pull yeah. a pulley left, right. Never it was know. very much like Are You Being Served? You're yeah. right. It was very much like that. Now, did you remind me? It's, uh, and there were great old characters. They they walked around. They used to meet people of all sorts coming yeah. in and out and asking for, uh, um, you know, tourists that coming along O'Connor Street looking for information. It was a great, it was a great spot. I mean, Clearies was an institution and uh, uh, very much an institution in O'Connor Street and, and uh, people coming in and out. Yeah. Day in, day out, summer and winter, and uh, 
it was a great spot. You always remember the country people coming to Dublin for their Christmas. Cleary's was oh, always yeah, the spot Decem- they hit, you know. December yeah. the 8th, December the 8th. And right. man, many other times as well. Uh, and then the Guiney family who owned Mrs. Guiney, I think it was 107 when she died. Uh, Dennis Guiney, who was, there was never a Cleary as such, it was Dennis Guiney, and he also That's right. he yeah. was obviously related to the Guineys in North Earl Street. There's still, All connected, yeah. Still there, Guineys are still there in North Earl Street, and there's still a sale on in Terralene uh, Slacks. Uh, Con Crowley, Con, good afternoon, Con. How are you, Joe? How are and, things? Good, and Con, it was your father who was uh, murdered. It was indeed, yeah, it was indeed, yeah. And what are your memories of that event? What uh, age were you, Con? Well, just to, before, I know, I remember Mr. Guinan. He was a lovely man. Okay. Um, very good friend of my father's. And uh, he turned up at, every year. There was a mass. The staff used to have a mass. Yeah. Subsequently. And um, every year in the pro-cathedral. And Mr. Guinan turned up every year. Very nice man. And there still is a mass, because I meet the chap who organises it, John. All right, uh, yeah. There still is a mass every year for ex um Ex staff. Uh, staff, yeah. yeah and so, Con, you, you would have been relatively young, would you, in 82? I was 29, I was 29 That's at the time, yeah. Okay, yeah. and what's your memory of that awful day? Uh, I worked in the Bank of Ireland and I got a phone call from Arthur Walls, who was the chief executive yeah. in Clary's yeah. at the time, to say that there had been a robbery and my father had been shot and he needed me to go home and tell my mother. So mm. I laid at home anyway and uh, I waited for my mother to come back and I told her and we went into Jervis Street Hospital. But he had died in the in the meantime. My brother was inside oh, in the right. hospital. Yeah, he, he was 67 actually, Joe. Somebody oh, said was he was 59, okay? but he was I'm actually 67, yeah. Okay. He had retired and then gone back. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. And was yeah. that his regular uh, function, Con, to... He was, ser- he was services manager in, okay. involved in all the maintenance and all that kind of stuff. But one of the one of the things was taking in the payroll and that, you know. And you, he was he died fairly quickly, did he? In yeah, he did. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they actually, uh, he was initially. This is what the guards told me anyway. He was initially shot, and he was very friendly with all the guards, and he might have recognised the guy. Okay. And your man came back and shot him a second time. Oh, God's sake. Mm. Just right outside his workplace. Right the back door, yeah. Right outside his workplace mm. where people used to queue to go into Santia, yeah, yeah. Santia Christmas in Cleary's. Exactly, yeah. And, and Con, the effect on your family? Oh, sure, you can imagine, Joe. You know, you can imagine. It's had a huge effect on us. But we're a very strong family all the same, you know. <laughs> Excuse me now, but... We kind of stuck together and, you know, we got over it. You have to, you know, you have to go on. My mother was a very strong person. Yeah, yeah. And I know there was a court case, obviously, and there was a man. Yeah. Did you go to the court case? Did any family want to take that board? Uh, My mother and myself went, yeah. Did you, yeah? Yeah, the guy that was convicted was only a part-time player in the gang. He was was the guy who just took the gun. And he went into, he went in, he ran into... um, Sean Graham's in Abbey Street. Mm-hmm. But one of the security lads who was working with Mr. Guinan had seen him and followed him. And he followed him into Sean Graham's and that's where the guards got him. Oh, but the God. guys who actually did the shooting never got convicted. Oh, they were never caught? No, no. Oh, God. Yeah. Anyway, and, and your father, had he worked long in Cleary's? Oh, yeah. He worked from the late, the mid-40s. 
So it was his lifetime job. Yeah, yeah. He was a cousin of Dennis Guinness. Oh, was he? Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. And people forget how legendary that whole family were. Oh, absolutely. And how legendary Cleary's was as an institution. Like and the, the, the Abbey Field Mafia, I think they used to call it. Did they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then Cleary's Clock and then meeting yeah. on Cleary's Clock. And yeah, yeah. Um, I remember Cleary's Clock was outstanding because I was left outstanding underneath him many, <laughs> many an evening, I can tell you. Sure, many, wasn't, yeah. many, it wasn't, Many an evening. Uh, stay yeah. with us, conference. Yeah. Like, Jerry, you, yeah. you, I'm, I'm just trying to think back around. Uh, obviously, there was Troubles up the north. There was a shoot. Now, that was a decade earlier, wasn't it, in Dublin, the shooting not too far away of, of Garda yeah, yeah. Richard Fallon. That's right, but that yeah. was So, mortars were yeah, yeah. like that were very were very rare. Yeah, sure. I mean, we, he was involved in the uh the bombings in North Ireland. Oh, of course, yeah. And then Sackville Place. Place, yeah. Yeah. I was in there that night with him and uh some of the stuff we saw was pretty horrendous. This when the two bus workers were killed. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. An, that anniversary just passed yeah, in December. That's right, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. And Con, have you been I don't know whether you're aware of this Con, but there isn't they're setting up it looks like it's already set up because they're saying it's going to be uh, available to view, to view. We're trying to find out where uh, this month, um, the Cleary's Archive. Were you aware of that, Con? No, I just heard about something on the radio about that yeah. the other day, actually. Yeah, yeah. No, that would be great. It would be great, yeah. but I just hope they include the... Yeah. Is, there, is yeah. there any memoriam? I don't know whether you wish. Did, is there any memoriam to your dad? No, there's not. No. Oh, no okay. No, okay. No, okay. No, no. Norman Croak. Norman, Norman, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. You were involved in Cleary's as a trade union official. No, I was. I was uh, head of Situ College uh, and would have had an association from a training perspective with the oh, yeah. employees out of Cleary's. And then the, the sad end to Cleary's, the horrific end to the to the way the workers were treated. Was what, what, what came to mind uh, when hmm. I when I think about Cleary's? Uh, about two or three years back, I I'm a member of the People's College Choir up in Par- oh. uh, uh, Parnell Street. And when when I was when I got off the bus in Bourke and I was walking up the up up O'Connell Street, I was passing Cleary's and it was blacked out. Okay, big old black uh, 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 telephones on the uh, window, and it brought back to mind the whole social cultural and labour significance yeah. of uh, Cleary's in, in the Irish psychic. And I subsequently wrote a, 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 my, my story about it that okay. was published in the New Link in uh, Westland Row. Okay. And the amount, of, the amount of emails, comments, and uh, uh, people that stopped me to talk about it it was the significance of two or three generations or more of Cleary's, of Cleary's workers. And the significance mm. even from a labour perspective, that if you go back to the roots of the Irish Transport and General Workers' Union in 1913, it was out of that building that uh, Larkin uh, 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 was arrested. Of course, and yeah. They think of the appalling conditions in which the, the, the workers of Cleary's employment was terminated. But he went into work, there were security guards there to, to bring them to the lockers, to uh, 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 put them outside of the Cleary's. And the disposability of not only 
the workers' uh, employment, but the whole generational memory mm-hmm. of the wonderful uh, 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 memories that we all had of Clearies from youngsters tuned up in the lane to see Santi yeah, and, and, yeah. and the various uh, the, the, the wonderful windows to walk in and meet wonderful staff to go down or up the stairs, etc. And they were extraordinary wonderful people. And one of the significant memories I had when I was standing outside of Clearies and looking at the, mm-hmm. the the ability of somebody to just shut that down overnight. And I looked over at the GPO and there was a queue of, of homeless people, of people that couldn't afford to live in Ireland, queuing up in a similar way to, way, to, to, to the way we queued up as children to yeah. see Santi, only on the far side in the, the homeless scenario that we have now in Ireland, yeah. you and, were looking and at Norman, the disposability of people. And Norman, and, and again, it came as a great shock to everyone. They were the Clearies were bought by, well, they went through a few few ownership after the Guineys left, right, yeah. so to That's speak. Right, yeah. And then, uh, was anyone aware, now, by the way, I suspect, given the trauma of what was going on, it'd be the last thing in anyone's mind. But did anyone... Uh, was anyone aware of a Cleary's archive? And did someone say, at least someone protect the archive? It's so not, 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 not at all. The, no, the, okay. the, first, the, first, the first I heard of the archive uh, uh, was today. And one is, I think it's, it's critically important uh, uh, because I'm, I'm, I do a lot of labour historical stuff. Great, it is great. critically important that we do have an archive. Absolutely, but in the context yeah. of what, what I've heard, it, 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 I would hope that it is not a cosmetic exercise. Okay, well, you're going to... Uh, well, 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 Norman, you're going to be able to see. i tell you why. We've just got a <laughs> statement from Cleary's Quarter. And they say, after several several years of careful planning, the landmark destination, Cleary's has gone through a masterful restoration. I just hope they keep the, the, uh, they keep the, the double staircase at the front. Yeah, um, yeah. Under the Cleary's Quarter redevelopment, which breathed new life into a country, well, we all welcome that. The completion of the restoration will be marked by a new exhibition, Cleary's, the archives, which is curated by historian uh, Kathleen White, I've come across her before. She's a great reputation just around uh, yeah, Dublin yeah. and Glasnevin, and as a public historian connected with Trinity College. The exhibition is located in the foyer of Cleary's and uh, includes documents, objects, and images to tell the story of a Dublin landmark. It will present rescued artifacts dating dating back to 1847, the famine, basically. Yeah. Images and tales of Cleary's throughout the years, parts of stories. Uh, from the documentary Under the Clock and the skill and artistry that laid the foundations. It will run from the 18th, which is uh, next week, to the 31st of January and be open. So Cleary's will be the foyer of Cleary's. Um, now, whether it's the exact same foyer that we remember, but the foyer of Cleary's right. will, will be open from the 18th to the 31st of January. Let me go back to er- Eric Crowley. Eric, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Again, excuse me, you're... You're a brother of Khan, so so Jared was yeah. your was your dad, the man who was shot dead, the Cleary's employee, as recently as 1982. And Eric, um, what age were you at the time? What do you remember? Well, what I remember is that uh, I actually got a call from Khan uh, to, to tell me that uh, of the shooting and that my father was in hospital and he was being operated on. So I, he, Khan went home to get my mother, and I went to the hospital. So I arrived into the hospital and. Uh, the doctor approached me and told me that my father was on the operating table, oh but gosh. that uh, it didn't look good. Oh my god! Um, and about 
10 minutes later, he came back in to tell me that he had passed away. Oh, God. And was your mother there at that stage, Eric? Was no, she wasn't. No, uh, uh, Tom and my sister made, and my mother arrived in about 10 minutes later. Oh, God. So and, I just and told did, did you get to see your dad before he passed? No, I didn't know, because he was on the operating table. Um, as I think Tom had mentioned to him, had mentioned uh, he had been shot in the chest the first time, and then the guy oh. came back and shot him the second time in the chest. Oh, what a trauma for a family to go through. Yeah, it was, it was very difficult at the time. But uh, as Con said, my mother was a very strong individual and she kept things together very well. Yeah. So, um, and how he was, uh, he was, he was an extremely uh, fit man, my father. Very, okay. very, uh, very fit and very strong individual uh, physically. Uh, he was 67 years of age. Yeah. He retired about two years previously in, in, in Kerry's and he'd been asked by Mrs. Guy to come back and start to arrange to set up security. And they're in the process of doing that when the robbery took place. But he would have known the local guards a lot because there was a lot of activity in the streets yeah, at that yeah, and a lot of yeah. dangerous situations which the guards had to deal with. And he had a great regard for the guards. And people, like, people remember there was a lot of bank robberies, um, which, were, was, yeah. which were uh, primarily paramilitary uh, at that time. Uh, there was a lot of activity on O'Connell Street because of political the hunger strikes and what have you. Yeah. It was a very, very, very busy spot. Say it was least. a very busy spot. And um, what the guards told me at the time was that uh, it's the robbery was associated with the INLA and that it was a cash-raising exercise. Um, and there were actually two people captured uh, on the day. Uh, the person who ran into the shop, that Connell went to the uh, bookie's shop, bookies shop, yeah. captured. And then another guy who had actually the funds, uh, he, he was running down the street and he was seen by the cards and he was tackled and he was captured and funds were recovered. Oh, and not that it was hugely relevant. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. third member then of the gang, there was a third member, the guard said to me that uh, they knew who he was and that they would catch him eventually, which I believe they did. Okay. Uh, okay. And, and Jerry, you just talked about an archive. You have kept the cuttings, have you, the newspaper cuttings? Uh, Jerry here, yeah. yeah. I, I I collected the cuttings and still have the cuttings and uh, uh, it refers back to that particular time and that particular date and uh, um, subsequent information. Yeah, it was from the Evening Press, which is, as you know, has gone out. gone, yeah, yeah. And even that, that incident where you describe, Jerry, when you're going to Jervis Street Hospital, which is now Jervis Street, uh, shopping centre that's got long gone as well. Um, the the whole the, there was an uh, two afternoon papers in Dublin, um, to, right, in Ireland, yeah, yeah. the the Evening Press and the Evening Herald, and um, they would have been produced that morning. Um, so the the shooting happened. So by two three o'clock, it would have been on the front page of a newspaper. Man shot dead in, in Cleary's, and you thought it was your dad, yeah. but tragically it was Con and Eric's. Uh, Eric's father. Eric, Eric, what, what was it? Was there many, many children and family, and what was the youngest? In other words, did your mother get help to, to the breadwinner was 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 shot dead? Did your mother get help to rear the family afterwards, or did she need it? Uh, no, my mother actually uh, worked with St. Vincent's Hospital, and she went on to become the senior phlebotomist in St. Vincent's Hospital okay. for about 25, 30 years. Right. And, uh, and we were also at a working age. Myself and Colin were out working. And our eldest, the one person in the family, my eldest sister, Barbara, lived in Canada. So it was probably particularly difficult for her because she 
she didn't know what was going on and, and the level of communication then of course was in those days yeah 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 uh, so that was particularly difficult for her and, and it, it was it, my was second I was third and then a younger sister made so is it your it's your father's anniversary this month it was it, it was last Friday oh god anniversary and, oh uh, my god I suppose while I'm on the radio, I'd like to thank the uh, the priest in Dominic Street because last year for his 40th, myself and my son Patrick went in and they brought a lovely bath and uh, it was a great occasion. And my oh. father was a member of the, uh, the third order for the Dominic oh, okay. Street. And they put on a wonderful bath and really appreciate that. Rightly so. And uh, isn't Dominic Street the church where the Cleary's annual mass is held. There's some, there's a connection yeah. there anyway, yeah. The pro so the, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, the pro, the pro, right, right oh, around the, the corner there, yeah. The annual, annual uh, mass is held, and people attended that for very many years. And yeah, it was yeah. wonderful really to see them, and there was a wonderful group of people that my father worked with uh, at that time. Many of them, as, as was mentioned, there were retired guards on that, and uh, they were really a great group of people. And the guards at the time were, were very helpful to the family. Okay, well, God, you were, God, you were, talking, you were yeah. talking earlier, Joe, about the weather yeah, and yeah. the snow. Yeah. We had to actually, uh, when my father was in the Mass, my father in Mount Marion Church, we had to physically push the hearse up the hill. Good because God. The, hearse, the hearse couldn't get up the hill with the ice and oh, the snow. What an image. Oh. What an image. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What an image. But I had all my friends in the rugby club, so they pushed it up the hill. Okay. Incredible image. Yeah. Well, God, God rest him, uh, your your dad. Um, did your father have uh, siblings alive? Were his own parents alive? He was. No, he no, they parents? died. They oh, died. Okay. Alive. They were dead. Were dead. Oh, okay. Sisters were alive. And fact, his, uh, his sister Peg worked in series, and she was the first one of the first, first people on the scene. Uh, so she rushed out from the from the series uh, and saw her bone on the ground. Okay, well, God rest them, and especially around this time, you're thinking of them, as I'm sure you do, on a regular basis. That's, that's uh, the sons, Con and Eric. Uh, yeah, just remo- so if I can quickly add, uh, Joe, I actually attended the court case, and attended okay. the whole case, and, what was and the junior like? in the case was actually Michael McDowell. Okay. And what do yeah. you remember about the court case, Eric? Well, I remember the detail of it at the time, and uh, the person sitting across from me, that was, uh, I could see him, but he was from quite a deprived background, not to excuse that happened, yeah, but... Yeah. He was from a very deprived background, and you could understand how perhaps he got involved in something like that. Okay. And, uh, and what, was it was it a paramilitary robbery, or was it just the... Yeah, no, the, the, the I they, were just, they were just kind of low-level criminals who had been okay. dragged in by the INLA to, to do this cash-raping uh, cash exercise. Okay. Um, uh, and that seems what denied from the court case. Uh, and the individual who was found guilty... He, he served his time, and when he came out then, he actually worked for Gilligan in, in his Kildare premises building fencing firm. This is Gilligan, the drug dealer. John Gilligan, yeah. yeah. Okay, Eric and Eric and uh, Con, uh, kind regards, and uh, as I say, uh, I know Jared told us earlier he, when he contacted us that he has cuttings from that time, so we'll find out if they're included uh, in uh, the exhibition well, which is due to open next yeah. week. Well, I've actually known all the cuttings myself Okay. Okay. Eric and Con Crowley, uh, thank, thanks indeed and kind regards. Joe with RT.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And Joe at RT.ie. Kevin Carroll, you remember the cash system in, in Cleary. Can you explain it to people? Because I failed miserably a while ago trying to explain how it works. 
Well, your researcher asked me, was I old enough to remember them? And unfortunately, <laughs> I am, yeah. But <laughs> we all, like everyone, shopped in Cleary's in those days. And from a kid's point of view, you're dragged along and it was boring. But this was pure entertainment. I just stand there watching these people. Uh, what happened basically was they'd write out a docket on a, a paragon checkbook. It was a, a little note, a, a two-sided, okay. with maybe carbon paper. They'd um, they'd put them into the into this little cartridge thing, uh with okay. the money, and they twist it, and that sealed it, and then they hook it up to this thing in the ceiling. And it was a wire and pulley affair. It was along brass rails, and they'd pull a chain, and a, 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 it was a lease, and a, a, a lever would go out and shoot this thing off, and it shot up to a central cash desk, which was up above everybody else. And the cashier would take this thing out, twist it, take out the money, take out the docket, uh, stamp the docket paid, put the, the um, copy back in the thing and send it back down, and that was the receipt that the customer got. But how, would, was, it, how would it get down through all the... The overhead lines. How would you know where to where to there was target? A whole, there, was a whole, there was a whole system. Every counter had their own um, station, as it were, with a pulley, okay. and it went. It was a, a fabulous engineering thing. It was all brass, really good quality stuff made by the Lamson Engineering Company. I think they were started in, in Chicago in America, and then they were taken over. I think by Lamson Paragon in uh, London, maybe later on. I know these were. Uh, done by Lamson Engineering was the company and before the cartridge affair there was a ball it was like a ball that went to two halves and it ran along two rails it was pushed again it ran along two rails that was superseded by, superseded by the cartridge thing which hang out, hung out of a, uh, a carrier which that was the thing that bought along the rails and then later on you probably remember these yourself as a kid they had the pneumatic system a pile of tubes Oh where, yeah, I remember the shows. Yeah. But are you saying in this room up in the the nether regions of of Cleary's, where all the money, all the cash went? Yeah, yeah, um, it was up to central office. A central central and, and, office. And, and, and like how many people would be in there? Ten, twelve. Oh, I would imagine so because I mean, Cleary's is a large department store. Okay. They, they may have had um, they may have had different ones in each floor. There might have been a, a separate cash office in each okay, floor. But they yeah. were up above the main counters. Uh, looking down and then the counters, for them yeah. to return the change and the receipt, yeah, would they say uh, press a button station forty two or thirty seven or? I think it just came down on the rail it arrived up on that rail went back down to the counter as far as I remember. Um, so oh, it went back oh down I know what you mean. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Um, that, does, that, does anyone use that system anymore? I wouldn't no. think so, but there are a few of them around the country. The last one I came across was in a, a, a shop in Kinsale whose name. The name escapes me. It's just there behind the car park in Kinsale in, in Cork. Also, um, I came across one in, in a hardware store in Kilmare. But they're antiques. But they're, they're absolutely lovely. They're fascinating to look at. I don't, I don't know if there's anyone working. I'm sure there's probably still one or two working around the country. Um, tough to know. But they were, they were fascinating. They were lovely for a kid to watch, you know. Oh, incredible, yeah. It was like, it was like the, the, the covered version of a railway. You know the way kids, little yeah. boys, love railway. Oh, yeah. This is a similar thing. I think the, bad, the Badass Pizza Cafe in Temple Bar had they a system. Had one. Yes. So you're right, they did. Yeah, you're did. right, they I, did, I, yeah. I, I, it was more a curiosity, but they actually used it. Yeah. Um, okay, Kevin, thanks indeed. What, did that company go out of business then, Lamson Paragon? I don't know. I worked for Lamson Park and we made computer stationery back in oh, the wow, days wow, when well, they out uh, reams of before the PC. Okay. Uh, we designed it and we sold it and we were we were it was very very good Lamson Park and they were top of top of the range stuff. But that's all gone now with PCs. Nobody uses paper. It's all on you know recorded otherwise. Yeah, um, happy days. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pay the rent for a while. Well, the, the exhibition <laughs> opens next week. Thanks indeed, Kevin Carl, Kathleen, Kathleen White, Kathleen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. How are you? Good. You are the curator. Yes, yes, the creator of the exhibition for, for Cleary that's opening next week. 
And tell us, what day is it opening? Where and where? It's opening on Tuesday of next week. Um, so it'll be the all excitement then, getting everything open. And have you been inside the building? I presume you have. The new yeah, building. Yeah, yeah, it looks, it looks absolutely brilliant. Um, wow. I'm really excited for it to be open and for people to be able to go in and, go in and give, a, give it a good look over. And how, how far back have you got documentation? Well, the archives were amazing. We actually have documentation. We've, ar- we've archived there uh, that predate Cleary's as a department store. So the oldest one that we have is from 1847, so during the famine times. That's incredible. Yeah, That's no, it, incredible. it was really, it was amazing to just go back over the history of, of the building that has, has stood there now in different forms but, uh, for almost 200 years. And is it a big exhibition? It, it is a big exhibition, yeah. It yeah. takes in all the, the history of Cleary's and all the aspects as well, because I'm sure as most of your listeners know, it's not, it wasn't just a department store. It had its own, its own social life as well. Yeah, oh, it had a, ball, um, had a ballroom and a cafe and a restaurant. And it did, and the tea rooms. And, yeah. and that documentary of, of Under the Clock is going yeah, to be shown course, as part yeah. of the exhibition as well. Oh, that's good, yeah. Well, you, yeah, but the people who used to meet under the Cleary's clock, it's a long time ago now. And yeah. I don't know, I think half half of the fellas were stood up. <laughs> I think that was mostly me, actually. But um, <laughs> under Cleary's clock and you'd be embarrassed. But anyway, those were the days. So so it's, it's uh, it'll be open all day. Well, what are the opening hours? Um, so the opening hours, it, it's going to be in the main reception area because there's going to be lots of different um, aspects of the building when it does open. So this will be in the main reception area, so it'll be open all day. So it'll be open all day, and it's free admission? It is indeed, yeah. Okay, okay. And you, you, you're you one of the lucky few who've actually seen the rejuvenated Cleary's behind the, the hoarding, and you say, you say it's, it's magnificent. It is, it's really, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, like most people in Dublin, I went in to have a look at it when I heard it was closing down course, back yeah. in 2015, and it was just brilliant to be able to go in and, and have a look at it again, and the, the organisation that, the company have really kind of they were really committed to restoring rather than replacing aspects of the building. Okay, and is is the exhibition temporary? Will it be moved permanently somewhere in the building, or no? It's going it to be go- permanently in the reception. Oh, is it okay? So in oh, that okay. main kind of oh, atrium area, great. it's going to be oh, there always. Great. Oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, that's Kathleen White. We'll keep we'll keep uh, people up to to speed, Kaitlin, on. Um, uh, and when I well, say from the 18th next Tuesday, uh, well done, Marty Wheel and Marty. Good afternoon, John. Welcome back. I thought you'd be having your little afternoon siesta. I would have been up see, from I the would. early hours. I would only I know you're back, so Rich. I could possibly miss the show. <laughs> I <let you>. Sleepless, <laughs> sleepless in Port Marnock. Marty, you, your, fa- your father. Yes. He worked there for many decades. He did. 40 years he spent in, the, in Clary's, my dad. And uh, he, he worked in the shirt department okay. and, uh, for years and years and years. And then he got elevated in later life. He became uh, Captain Peacock. You were talking about, are you being served? Yeah, yeah. And um, he got elevated out of the shirt department eventually to, um, to be a floor worker. Ah. Uh, where he'd go around the county, various departments. He'd have to he'd have to co-sign a check if somebody wanted to buy something or whatever. But like he told stories of Clary's uh, in the days when you would be talking about the incredible crowds that would be in that shop. You know, we forget the fact, I suppose, that, yeah. and I'm listening to all your contributors today, we forget the fact that we didn't have the shopping centres around the country. So people came to Dublin, and Clary's was one of the main places you went because of its vast array of goods that Dennis Guiney had organised. It was an amazing shop. 
And My dad used to come home for lunch, you know, over to home to Kilester. Can you believe that? I don't that? believe you. He walked down Talbot Street, got on the train, came home for his lunch, <laughs> and went back. Now, how he did it in an hour, I do not know. Um, had the lunch with my mum and back uh, back on the train and back here. I don't know how he did it. And would you um, have to, Marty? Would you have to dress in a? Uh, you'd have to dress properly, so to speak. Oh, you would. Well, the way you and I would be turned yes, in now would be yes. partly because of clearly. Yes. And my, my dad, my dad would, oh, he was, oh, yeah, it was the full suit every day. And, of course, in retirement, he had great difficulty not wearing a tie. Isn't it funny? Oh, wow. Just that that was part and parcel of how he, how he lived his life, if you like. And when did uh, he retire from Cleary's Man? Oh, I could, I'm trying to remember now. He's gone over, well over 20 years. He's gone now, God rest him. But I still, um, you're, you're still wearing some of the shorts. They've worn very well, still, haven't well, they? Well, Brian Nylon. They've Brian stood they, a drip dry and they stood the test of time. <laughs> Do you remember the ads? Oh, I know. <laughs> but it's a great... This is a great idea. I didn't hear anything about well, it there at all. No, if anyone should be, uh, should be there yes. to, give, to give the occasion the dignity and the prestige it deserves, it should, be, it should be young Martin Whelan. And considering I, I worked there uh, for oh, summer... Did you? Uh, yeah, in the in the men's department for <laughs> selling <laughs> selling coats to French students or something like that. My lady wife, you were talking about this, the, the way um, the money was... Went around the place in the tube. My lady wife had a, a summer job there too. Oh, is, that, uh, is that how you met? Uh, no, no, no. We met That's in the Grove in Clontarf. Oh, wouldn't That's you know? You didn't, meet, you didn't meet under Cleary's clock, as I say. No, but we, no, but I normally met her there, and I was late almost every time. Yeah. But the Cleary's clock was a great, uh, as and, you know. Uh, uh, Marty, I meant to ask you because I didn't see you over the Christmas for various no. reasons, but. Um, are you are you you know those jokes you tell in the morning? Well, basically, you robbed them off the listeners. That's right, and yeah. then send them back to them. Uh, that's yeah. what we're going to say. Are you going to put them in a book and sell them back it's to them? A, it's a great idea. <laughs> you do it for charity. To give <laughs> I, know. Them oh, the I know the charity. <laughs> of course. The, M- the, the MWHIS, the Marty Whelan like, Holiday no, no. in Spain Fund. No, absolutely. Marty, Man, well, people, people are clamouring now yeah. to, to turn off their radio. No, they're clamouring to ring in and say, <laughs> it's winning. <laughs> people are very interested in weird things. Is winning streak ever coming back? I would like to believe so. Um, it's not coming back at the moment, but um, the, as the fellow said, the door is open and I'm available, as is uh, Sinead. We're yeah. both ready to come back. Uh, at the moment, it's not down to come back for for this particular period, but I'm optimistic that it will come back. Um, I think what, people what, seem to miss it terribly. Yeah, what happened it? Well, COVID happened. Yeah, and, the idea, um, okay, yeah. yeah I yeah. always remember, that, you know, the way sometimes lightning will strike. The week that COVID hit, there was a big race meeting in Cheltenham. Do you remember that? Of course I do, um, yeah. If my memory serves me correctly, I think one, this is just incredible, one of the contestants had been at Cheltenham. Ah. And my memory is that that was, that they kind of went, okay, hang on a second, we need, to, we need to look at this. So we went off the air that week in March, the same as so many people, um, so many uh, areas yeah, stopped yeah. having crowds. And we've never returned. It's coming up. It's coming like it's nearly three years. And are you waiting? Um, are you waiting for an announcement from the Taoiseach about that winning streak? The, the pandemic is over. Winning streak would, can't come back. That would be very good news if you could put in a word because you know all the big shots. It'd be lovely. But, it, but yeah, I do. I miss it terribly. I mean, it's great to be on the radio in the morning, and I love it to bits and lyric, mm. and it's my pride and joy. Winning streak is a different kettle of fish, and I miss 
I miss it. I mean, I miss it for the obvious reason, but I also miss it for the doing of it, you know. Yeah, because it's a great play, and it's great fun to do, and it brings people together, and everybody leaves a winner. So, and, and, please God, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get back at some stage. Okay, okay. Marty Whelan, thanks indeed. That's Marty Whelan. Uh, see you, see you under Cleary's clock. <laughs> don't, don't stand me up this time. I will don't never stand, stand you me up. up. Okay. <laughs> Marty, Bye. thanks indeed. Joe at RT.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Well, much was made uh, this morning of the figures uh, on the hospital crisis over the weekend. The 400 people were discharged on Saturday, which I think was 120 more than the previous uh, Saturday. And this seemed to give um, a lot of people uh, hope that things were shifting in the right direction. Now, we were contacted by Anne. Anne, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Your father was one of those 400. He was, Joe, and I saw the article in the paper this morning and that's what prompted me to contact you. Um, so I suppose I'll, I'll tell you what happened to him. He's 75 years of age and he has COPD and he started to feel unwell last Monday. Mm-hmm. And by Thursday, he was he was just disimproving every day. And he got an appointment with his GP who checked his oxygen level and it was at okay. 80%, which is quite low. It's very low. And she recommended that he go straight to A&E. And Dad okay. was very reluctant to do it because of the crisis in the mm-hmm. hospital. He didn't want to be lying on a trolley for hours. So we decided to give it another day to see how he'd manage. So on the Friday morning, my sister had purchased one of those oxygen monitors. Oh, yeah, clip on really your finger. important, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very good. So she checked his oxygen and it was down to 76%. Okay. And he was really struggling to breathe at that stage. So um, she rang an ambulance for him and they were arrived within 10 minutes. The paramedics were absolutely fantastic. Okay. Um, in the walk out to the ambulance, his oxygen level dropped to 74% and he okay. was really gasping for breath. So he was brought straight to the hospital. Um, he had COVID, and when they did a chest X-ray, they said he had a touch of pneumonia as well. Oh, so he was put on oxygen and intravenous antibiotics, and he was told on Friday that he'd be in hospital until Monday. So I suppose we were happy he was getting the care he needed. And then on Saturday at lunchtime, we got a call from him to say he was being discharged. Mm-hmm. Um so, I mean, literally, they took the IV out, took his oxygen away and sent him home. Um, he and was quite they, unwell when did, he came home. And, yeah. and did they say anything like he's improving or we're not worried? No. or Didn't say anything. We got no instructions about care or what to watch for or follow up or, you know, if we had any concerns what to do. He was literally just, just discharged and that was it. He was given a prescription for antibiotics. But he was on um, he was on IV antibiotics. He was on IV, which are much more and, effective yeah, and fast action, acting. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I suppose even whatever about the antibiotics, they removed the oxygen, and he had no trial period in the hospital of how he'd cope without the oxygen. Um, it was literally taken from his nose, and then he was put into the car and sent home. Um, and so he's he's continued to go downhill since he's been home and we've been monitoring his oxygen. I told your researcher it's at 85% at the moment. He's quite breathless. He's quite unwell. We don't know should we send him back. He He's very reluctant to go back into the hospital and spend hours again on a mm-hmm. trolley. Um, and 
really we're trying to decide how unwell he needs to get before and we bring so, him back in. And on, on Friday, for example, when mm. did they say, did anyone say to you, well, your dad's going to be in a week or 10 days or two days or no, he'll be out this yeah. afternoon? Did they give you... No, nothing at all. Um, and and In other words, were you surprised that he was discharged on Saturday? Extremely surprised. We weren't expecting it at all. And my, my mother is also 75. She has COVID and COPD as well. And uh, so she, she wasn't expecting him home either. It was a total surprise. Mm. It was a scramble to get over and get him from the hospital because his bag was packed. He was ready to go. Um, and my sister had actually asked the hospital to contact her with an update on his um, condition because we didn't want to be telephoning him all the time in the hospital when he was on oxygen, and they never contacted her, so we we heard nothing from them. Like, we got no information of, you know, what, like, how, I suppose, how to care for him at home or what to do, and, uh, like, I absolutely feel he was discharged way too early. But your your dilemma now is, mm. should you go back into that whole system again? Yeah, and he's really reluctant to go through the process again. Um, I mean, he was on a trolley for a number of hours. He was moved to a COVID ward, but he said he was moved three times during the night. Mm. He, you know, he got no rest at oh. all. And yeah, and he's just reluctant to go back through the process. And I mean, we've no medical training and, you know, we're looking at him and his symptoms and trying to make, like, what really is a clinical decision of, like, how bad is he, you know, and is he bad enough to warrant going back in? And, I mean, we don't want to wait till he's bad enough to need to ring an ambulance again and, you know, be using those resources. But we were lucky we rang an ambulance that day because in the walk just from the kitchen to the yard, he completely couldn't draw his breath at all. Oh, there's nothing Um, nothing worse, that whole panicking. Um, And have you been told by GP or medics or the hospital if his oxygen level gets below most of it, most most people's oxygen level is 100% or above. Yeah, yeah. Um, But if it gets below a certain level, you should bring him in. No, they didn't say anything. So my mom rang the GP today um, and has, she's waiting on a call back. Just We've asked that question of at what point do we bring him back in? I mean, I've been Googling it, which is not, you know, yeah, what know, you should be doing. Yeah, um, but trying to see, you know, I mean, it's stable at 85% at the moment. So, you know, we're, we're trying to decide is, is I mean, when, when, when you do Google it, it says 85% is extremely low. There's reduced oxygen to brain and organs and medical attention is urgently required. But, I mean, m- my big concern was that there was no trial without the oxygen in the hospital yeah. before he was discharged and obviously his oxygen levels dropped quite dramatically once the oxygen was removed um, and yeah I was I was I was crossed to see the article in the news today which seems to be HSE congratulating themselves on discharging so many patients but I do wonder how many patients were discharged that are actually still in need of medical care. Now, the only little glimmer there was you, you said the paramedics, the ambulance arrived very quickly. They were fantastic. Yeah. We're very lucky that we're near um, a base. Okay, okay. They were there within, but that, I suppose that's not to say it'll happen the next time, but yeah, three paramedics yeah. arrived within 10 minutes. And okay. I, I mean, I can't, I can't thank them enough for the care. My dad was so frightened with being unable to breathe. And obviously he was going in the ambulance on his own and they were absolutely fantastic to him. And I know your mother is there with him. Is there someone else in the house? Can you manage a roster or...? 
Yeah, so um, my sister um, and myself are, are going over um, and just trying well to mind done. him because I suppose the physical care he needs is not great. It's yes. more of that emotional pressure yeah. because we're making the decisions of, you know, when does he need more urgent medical care? And that's, I suppose, that's that's the real struggle for us is that that responsibility is on us of trying to decide yeah. you're monitoring, if he's bad you're, enough you're, now you're, to yeah. go. You're in that awful, yeah. you're the one monitoring and in that awful yeah. dilemma, will we, won't we? Yes, absolutely. I mean, okay. like, he, he wasn't even sent home with any oxygen or any instructions or anything like that. I just I think the care okay. the care was just... And like I say, I I don't... Uh, doctors and nurses, as we all yeah, know, are under yeah, substantial yeah. pressure. But, yeah, I mean, it just seems to be a complete lack of care. OK, and please, please, God, now, but thanks for putting a, a, a very, very difficult story behind a statistic... Uh, which is what's happened. And thanks indeed, and above all, kind regards to, to, your, you. to your father and your mother. Thanks for taking the call, Joe. Thanks for Take making care. the call. Joe at rt.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. That's suggestion by Infantini over uh, Christmas that every every country in the world should uh, name a stadium the Pele Stadium. Now, I think three countries have done it so far. Cape Verde, Guinea-Bissau, and I get the name, but people aren't exactly jumping on the idea. But Ken McHugh, a long-time sports enthusiast, can you believe there is a an option in Ireland. Where do, where do you what stadium do you think should be renamed the Pele Stadium? <laughs> it's the obvious one, Joe. It has to be the home of football and daily mounts. Bohemians, okay. they've already got, they've already got a mural up on the wall. Would you believe it? Yeah, they're, uh, great, they're, they're a great club for murals up there yeah, and buses yeah, and, yeah. and jerseys. The mur- they're fantastic. The murals, as we call the them, up there, yeah. yeah. But, but it's called Daily Mount because why is it called yeah. Daily Mount? Well, that was the uh, the original name. It was the uh, was that the name the of the Daily lane Mount park? Yeah, yeah. So there's no there's no uh, there's no uh, signature or sponsor name. So why not call it? Edson Arante's Del Nascimento Stadium. At least Infantino finally is making sense. I think yeah. it's a great idea. I think that he was the greatest ever. I, I was at the game in 72 when he played there with Santos against the Bohemians and Drunkanta combined. So yeah. what a great what a great occasion. It was incredible. We all went to see Pele, of course. You know, we didn't, of course, a lot of people yeah. had never seen Bozart, Trumps and Santos that was the big club. Plus the fact that it's don't forget, a lot of Brazilians are, are living around uh, in Dublin Seven in the northwest of the city. So you know, it's it's a great honour for them as well, and it'll attract them to the club. I think. Yeah, so it, would it, it not be, just makes sense. Yeah, but would it not be like? Would you not get a, a, an argument that we should name it after someone associated directly with Bose? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, but there's so many. Like, you know, who do you pick? You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, like it's the League of Ireland club, and, and uh, but it's something unique in the sense that it's calling out the Pele, the greatest ever player, who, who graced the Green Smart Daily Mount. You know, so I think it'd be just a, a, a great gesture. Yeah. And uh, you know, the as I said, like it would attract a lot of people to the club. Yeah, um, but can par- uh, part of the problem today for most League of Ireland clubs is money. And you know, na- naming rights are valuable. Naming rights, yeah, yeah. Well, but you won't, get, you won't get a you won't get a juice from the Brazilian government <laughs> from, or from Pelé's estate. I don't think so. If you rename well, the Pelé's estate, 
There's a big stadium on the south side. Uh, it's called after an insurance company. I refuse to. It's Lansdowne Road. I refuse to call it. Use the other name. Yeah, I'm sure. But, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure that frightened the life out of them. Cam, when they heard that. <laughs> Still, I say shares. Shares in Aviva are 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 tanking as we speak. <laughs> oh, but I think it'll be great like we have a conference on Saturday actually coincidentally in Daily Mount on, on uh, the history of uh, Irish football oh brilliant and uh, Pele, Pele will get the honourable mention there yeah it starts okay. at half nine it's a bit early now but uh, would you say, but say and God rest Pele and, and the tributes to him have just yeah. been absolutely incredible apart from the fact that the Neymar and a few of them wouldn't bother there uh, gil, gil, <laughs> gil, gilded backsides going down the road to yeah. the funeral, but that's neither here nor there. But um, yeah. like the Pele Kelly Carpet Stadium, you know, you'd need to get a sponsor as well, surely. Well, Pele, they could have like something onto it. I'm sure there'd be a lot of takers. You know, maybe maybe some of the Brazilian companies who are over here, the, yeah. like the language uh, companies. Will uh, will sponsor yeah. it, you know? But uh, hopefully, Bowles won't need the sponsorship with all the the players they're selling. Okay. They're, they're 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 building up they're building up a, a nice little uh, 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 Warchester area, you know. Yeah, but it's, but, a, uh, it's a great club, anyway. But it's then, a great club, and it's I know your family from what yeah, yeah. Short Street, so they would have been at you know fans of the club at all. And Cabra is a hotbed. Well, Cabaret, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, absolutely, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's a religion, it's a religion up there. It's a religion up there. Yeah. Okay, Ken, uh, the conference, is on, Joe, the conference is on Saturday. Is it open to... It's open to the public, Gino yeah. Gino Kelly and, and anyone that, else that, interested in so, the so football? Just coffee and tea and coffee right. at half-time. Yeah, and what's, starts, the, what's the title? half-nine to four o'clock, and it's the history of Irish football. Oh, well done, well done. Well yeah, done. yeah. Okay. It's so great. So great. You're, you're more than lo- you're, um, you're, you're, you're free on Saturday. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm talking now. I'm talking now for the under uh, 90, <laughs> 90, 95. By the, by the way, Archers. Joe. Wow. Yeah, but just just in the area, just down from, I can see the the lights from where I am. But on on North King Street, uh, the the new um, slots there. Oh yeah, Sean the Foster. Yeah. Are, and Sam Foster, yeah, and I hope you, you get invited to the invite, yeah, the, 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 invited well, to the opening. By the way, well, the, the, well, the great thing is that it's been named that the first child the name, killed, exactly, yeah, first yeah, child yeah, killed in the rising now has a magnificent yeah. block of social yeah. housing named after him, fifty yards That's from right. where he was shot. Yeah, yeah, and I know public the, housing, uh, public land, Joe, yeah, yeah. and, and the, remember back there on the wall, Terry well, O'Neill, the, the the closest living relative. To any of the children, yeah. I don't know about anyone else, but to, uh, to mm. the closest living relative to any of the children is mm. still alive. And he would be That's Sean right. Foster's first cousin. Would you believe that? Sorry. His first ah. cousin. Um, and he's Brilliant. Terry O'Neill is still alive. So that, that should be the man yeah. to, to cut the tape. But anyway, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. Ken, Ken, yeah. Ken, Ken okay, McHugh so is still... And that thing starts at what time again? Sorry, my fault. It's, it's ha- half nine on Saturday morning. Everybody's welcome in, in Daly Mount Park, okay. the home of the home of Okay, well, well, there's competition now for what? the renaming. Eunan Mackay, <laughs> Joe at RT.ie. Eunan, good afternoon. How you doing, Joe? How are you keeping? What stadium do you think should be named in Ireland after Pelé? Well, I remember on my travels around this fair oil, looking at a finger post pointing to a stadium or a pitch between Monaghan and Clonus, called after that great institution, John Delaney. Okay, just be careful. And that's stay, a pitch that could be renamed. It could stay, be renamed. Yeah, stay within the borders you now, know? the Ten Commandments for yeah. me, won't you? Um, in this I will say nothing. <laughs> so you think... <laughs> You think? I think. Yeah, I'll tell you something, Eunan. Eunan, you say it best when you say nothing at all. 
Yeah, that's, that's, you better believe it. But I think if there's a ball to be kicked in that pitch, it should not be called the Jonathan Delaney Stadium. It should be right. called Pele or yeah, okay. Johnny Giles or something, you know? Yeah, okay. but, but, but Pele is what they've asked each national organisation, and that's... I'm sure, I'm sure, don't don't respond to this, Ewan, and even though you're tempted. Yes. I'm sure John yes. Delaney wouldn't mind. I'm sure he wouldn't mind. I, he's for a generous great, man by all a, accounts. For a, very, for with a, someone for, else's money. For, yep. the, for, the, for the greater good. Okay, I'm staying, I'm staying within the border, the Ten Commandments, and I'm taking a break. Joe at RT.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Magella Rippington is in Kildare. Uh, Magella, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Your, your memories of Cleary's. Yes. Well, very briefly, I just thought I would say to you, when my husband came to Ireland, he was with Marks and Spencers around the late 80s. Okay. And when he started with Cleary's, he started at their store, their satellite store in Tala. Ah, and yes. that went on for a while. And then he moved to, um, he eventually became store manager in Cleary's itself. And I in think he's probably Street, the yeah. only English person who would have had a management role in the store. And I just thought that was a bit noteworthy. I have no exceptional story to tell you other and than what, that but when you, say, when you say that Manjala do you mean that having a Captain Peacock in English accent might have disadvantaged one if one applied for a job in Cleary's well yes I remember when he applied for, for the job it was the next big thing after working for Marks and Spencers because Marks and Spencers was quite a big thing for their trainee man- their managers coming over because if you're M&S trained it was the ultimate in retail and that's interesting. Yeah. The best trainings in retail when you were with uh, M&S. Well, that's just how it was. And he was here on the team that started the uh, flagship store in Grafton Street. And then in order to stay with, you couldn't stay in Ireland with Marks and Spencer. Ah. You had to mobile and go back and work your way up through the various yeah, trading. Yeah. And in order, a lot of people relocated here at that time from M&S that didn't go back home. But... Um, he managed to secure a job with Cleary's and we thought, gosh, if you get a job with Cleary's, that's for life, it would be fantastic. And it was the satellite store in Tala and that went quite well for the length of time that they wanted to do that. And he managed to stay long enough to be store manager in, in uh, Connell Street and loved it at the time. But the difficulty then was the commute. Like we hear them talking now about Oh, God. The difficulties. Yeah. But the commuting was quite long at that time because the Lewis was being built. But um, long hours and hardworking staff. And he had a big number of staff in there, but it was always, a, it didn't lose staff or anything like that. People would stay a long oh, time. very here. loyal to it, yeah. But, but we I, did wonder would, with the English accent and the English way, would he be as welcomed? And uh, he was. Oh, great. Now, Michella, the, the, that was one attempt, Cleary's attempted, Cleary's of O'Connell Street attempted to open branches and one of them was in Tala. Did, That's correct. But did it work in the long term? It didn't, did it really? Um, it didn't in the long term and I don't know if it was the right move for them at the right yeah. time. There were various things uh, going on and then you had leases in those stores and things. I can't remember the detail and I don't want to be inaccurate. But um, I know that he was there for for a while, and then when it closed down, it closed, and he moved back to um, O'Connell Street. Yeah, it was. I remember the, the Tala, but I don't. I don't know if it if it 
it was a good idea because nothing could match the experience in O'Connell Street when it's uh, will you go will you go in to see the exhibition Minchella when it opens next week? Oh absolutely and um I hope that they do extend to the more current times and to right up to, to when uh, Cleary's closed. And uh, my husband had left Cleary's just before then he left of his own accord and uh, I think the writing was on the wall then as to what was maybe going down uh, for Cleary's but um, it was sad to see that store decline and I suppose things move on and then he moved into the agribusiness so Sorry. Okay, the exhibition opens next Tuesday in O'Connell Street in Dublin thanks to the Magella. what a beautiful day Magella Rippington Michael Potts Michael Hello, Joe. Your connection with Cleary's? Uh, my great-aunt, uh, Florrie Ward was her name. And she worked... I think my great-grandfather paid 20 guineas for her to train on the glove counter. Wow. And she was on the <laughs> glove counter. And this little man came in, little small guy, and he bought a pair of black gloves for his mother back in the UK. Okay. And he was smitten by her obviously, because he came back in the next day and bought his mother a pair of brown gloves. Oh, good lads. And that man was a man called Charlie Wingstead, who was a jockey. Yeah. And uh, they subsequently courted and got married, and they lived in Ellesmere Port in the UK, in Cheshire. And their son, one of their sons, was a fellow called Alf Ringstead who played for Sheffield United and the Republic of Ireland. Oh, that's incredible. So, so your, your, your Aunt Flory? My great-aunt Flory. Okay, your great-aunt Flory. And what yeah. was, do you remember her second name that she was using at the time or what, what was before her, she married Charlie? Uh, uh, anyway, Aunt Flory... Flory Ward. Aunt, great-aunt Flory Ward was on the glove counter. The first thing that mesmerised me, she, she had to be trained. Yeah. And okay. you had to pay to be trained on it. Okay. And, this and my great-grandfather paid, I think it was about 20 guineas or something. Okay. And this jockey, yeah, who was obviously riding in a race here in Ireland Obviously riding a, a race meeting here. and He came in looking for a pair of gloves, but ended, ended up looking for Flory's hand. Yeah, <laughs> and it wasn't even in the glove. <laughs> <laughs> but, he, but he did get it. He did, he did. And Al Frink said, believe it or not, he was, Charlie was riding in a, a race here. Yeah. Or a race meeting here, and Flory came over. She was pregnant on Alf. Okay. And Alf was born in my grandmother's parlour in St. Francis Terrace in Bow Street. Right. In 1929. So, so even though he, he was one of the first uh, Republic of Ireland players with an English accent, because he was reared in the UK, he was actually born here. And he, he, he was a, a talented player, I presume, from an early age. He was, he was. Apparently my grandfather said, I might never live to see it, but that guy would wear the green jersey. And he did. And he did. So that means he played in Daily Mount. He played in Daily Mount. He and did then indeed. we're going to our Pele Stadium, as we now call it. The Pele, <laughs> the Pele Kelly Carpet Stadium, as we're now calling it. <laughs> Pele Kelly. Yeah. Alf Ringstead. And when this, and Flory went to live in England. Yeah, and she had, I think she had three boys and a girl. Alf was the youngest boy. And of course, uh, in those days, Mike, and not that you would know, but you know, we did it here about two years ago when you went, bizarrely, when you got married in the civil service, you had to leave. The woman yeah. had to leave. Um, shocking. And but would that have been the same when, when Flory 
married Alf. Charlie. Charlie, sorry, Charlie had Alf. When, yeah. Ma- when Flory married Charlie, did she have to leave her job in Cleary's? Yeah, well, I mean, they went to live in the UK. Oh, of course, yeah. You know, they so were living that... in, and they lived in Ellesmere Port in, in Cheshire, you know. That's okay. And, and, uh, I mean, Alf passed away in 2000, and Flory pa- passed away, I think it was, she was a, a great age, she was in her 90s when she passed right. away, you know. And did you, did you ever meet them? Oh, I did. I yeah, did. Okay. I remember Charlie, actually. I remember going into me, my, my grandmother's house in, in, in Bow Street. I'd have been about four. And Charlie was sitting on a, uh, an armchair in the sitting room, in the parlour. Okay. And his feet didn't touch the ground. <laughs> I, asked yeah, me, I asked me, <laughs> Nana, who's the little boy? <laughs> <laughs> who's the little boy? <laughs> Because I, I remember, now my father was over six foot, and he only came up to my father's belt. You know, he was tiny, he was a very small man. And, and, um, Alf Ring said, is he, is, is he remembered in the, the annals of Irish soccer? Oh, he is, yeah. Yeah, he oh, is. is he okay? Because oh, if he played, time. if he played for, which, Sheff, there was two Sheffield, wasn't it Sheffield United? He played for Sheffield United. Uh, Sheffield yeah. Wednesday. Yeah, he played for Sheffield United. And the two of them would have been in, in the top rank, wouldn't they? Oh, they would, At yeah. At the one he, time, I mean, yeah. He played, yeah, he played in the the old force division, yeah. as it was then, you know. And I think he was, you know, he was a, a winger and a fairly prolific goal scorer, you know. He scored against England in the famous game where the silence in, in Daly Mount Park, I think it was 19, they were going for the World Cup. If Ireland had beaten England, they'd gone to a playoff. And uh, Tom Finney scored the equaliser in the the last last minute. And England qualified. Um, Michael said it was a Carmel Kelly Wright. Carmel, who do you want to remember from Cleary's? I want Mick and Dinny. Dinny, as they called them then. Dinny, yeah. Dinny Shields. And what did they do in Cleary's? And they were two brothers. And um, one of them was in the furniture department. Okay. And I think the other was in the linen. I'm not sure now, Joe, but um, they were, a lot, everybody would have known them. So one of them, one of them was part of the furniture, and the other fellow yeah. was under, under the sheets Dinny, all Dinny day. Ginny and Mick, yeah, and Ginny and Mick Shields, and they were, they were. There was a documentary lately, and one of them was sitting in Bewley's. Oh yeah, under the clock. Go in there yeah. every morning for breakfast. Okay, and did they were they with Cleary till the end? I think, well, I, maybe not. Maybe okay. not now. And it, is, Din, were, is Mick and Dinny still alive? I'm not sure. Would okay. you believe Where are they from I'm originally? We'll find out. They're from Lusma, Lusma, County Offaly. Yeah, County Offaly. Okay. Yeah, okay, Michael. Something else. My uncle, Eddie, played in the dance bands that played in Cleary's. Upstairs at the weekend, yeah. Okay, good, good, good to meet him all. Good, Michael, August Carmel. Uh, Fergus Sweeney produced Ray Darcy's next.